0: Money FM 89.3, the best of Saturday mornings.
1: International News Review. Welcome back to the show, Glenn and Neil, with you all the way up till noon today here on Money FM 89.3. Welcoming now. Ah, uh, to our uh, talk show this morning, Trisha Craig for our international News Review. Trisha is the Vice President of Engagement and Senior Lecturer in Global Affairs at Yale and u s College. Trisha, good morning.
2: Good morning, and welcome back, Neil.
1: Thank you, and thank you for stepping in. Fantastic job.
2: It was, you know, a daunting responsibility.
1: (laughs) It just seemed like a week ago we were sitting here together, Tricia. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, Okay, let's get going. Uh, The Thai reformist Pita is now not the prime minister. We talked about this last week on the show. We were looking for a re-vote this week where after he lost his initial vote for PM. What the heck happened and what does it mean?
2: Yeah, what a difference a week makes. So one of the things that we said was it was probably a hard pass forward for him. And that became quite clear this week. He's not even going to get the second vote. He's not going to be in government despite winning the election. So I think, you know, what is... Important here is he's very popular among Thais who want to see the end of military rule, particularly the young people, but not just young people. But, you know, for many of the old guard, move forward his party um, with its calls to get rid of the laws that, for example, make it a crime to criticize the monarchy. It kind of makes them it kind of makes move forward toxic. So even with Pita himself out of the picture, the party is not going to be able to secure votes for anybody in the party to be prime minister. Mm. So now we're looking to see whether the second largest party in the coalition, Thai, and that's the party of former prime minister who's in exile, Saxon Singawatra, um, whether they can they can put somebody up for uh, for prime minister. They are um, we're assuming this week they will put up um, Srechas Savasen, who is a 60 year old real estate tycoon, not much experience in politics, but in a way that's kind of. That sort of newness is probably to his advantage. So the question is what deals will Puttime make? Will they throw move forward under the bus? That will hurt their kind of claims to you know uphold uh, democracy. Um, and it also puts, and I think this is really important, it puts the specter of unrest back on the table we're already seeing a little bit of that in thailand so mm-hmm. but will we return to the mass street protests of 2020 that's when move forward's predecessor party forward um future forward um they were dissolved and we saw a lot of protests
0: We do wonder what other option they have at this point other than protest, Patricia, because as they were saying after the election, what was the point of it? Because it's the upper house. They can't get enough votes in the upper house because most of the people in the upper house were installed by the military and they're always going to back the military. So whether it's this party or a second party, can anyone overturn that military majority?
2: I mean this is you know this is what happens when you have institutional rules created by something like the junta right they make it incredibly difficult they set the bar so high um and so it is institutions thwarting the democratic will of the people um and I think you know the other question is what happens what happens to Thailand going forward even if we do have you know demonstrations and but but after that in the long term you know we saw um the markets reacted well to the idea that maybe this uh, sort of constitutional impacts was going to be over soon. But Thailand, you know, remember, Thailand was once the kind of darling of Southeast Asia. And now it is seeing Vietnam, Indonesia really take off in a way that it's not. And a lot of that is down to, um, you know, sort of uncertainty and unhappiness with the way that the military is running the economy.
1: All right, Trisor, we're going to leave that one there for now and come back and, and uh, check on that in weeks to come. As we have to see if those protests do uh, start up again. Uh, wheat prices, though, are soaring now. Russia is refusing to renew its grain deal with Ukraine. Initially, uh, they were going to allow those ships to sail through the Black Sea port um, to get millions of tons of grain to the west to the rest of the world. One in 10 loaves of bread in Singapore is made with Ukrainian wheat. This is um, a huge setback for international trade. Tell us uh, what's behind it. I think we probably know somewhat, but uh, give us a little bit more context.
2: Well, you know, as we all learned, if we we didn't know, and I, I didn't know that, you know before the uh, when the invasion happened we found out that ukraine is one of the really really massive grain producers in the world um so a year ago turkey brokered a deal um that said commercial food and fertilizer could leave ports in ukraine ukraine really needs to get its wheat and other grains out to the rest of the world the most efficient and cost effective way to do that is by water there are overland routes but they are um, they're expensive. Uh, they they can't carry the same kind of tonnage. So the deal the Turkey brokered said, all right, Ukrainian boats will escort the cargo through a kind of uh, humanitarian corridor to international waters. Um, and then all the cargo would be inspected in Istanbul by a team made by teams made up of Russian, Ukrainian, uh, UN and Turkish inspectors. Um, and it was. Inspecting on the way in and on the way out the Russia wanted to make sure that you know weapons weren't coming in That sort of thing And this worked pretty well About 33 million tons of grain have in fact been shipped out um, Over the course of the last year with the deal And grain prices went down and they stabilized But Russia has pulled out of the deal um, Part of the reason they claim Is that this was supposed to be humanitarian aid um, That you know a lot of uh, It's true that 10% of our bread Comes from uh, Ukrainian wheat But but a lot of Ukrainian Grain goes to humanitarian uh, purposes, the mm. U.N.'s um, World Food Program, for example. But it, but a lot of the grain or the bulk of the grain is going to China, Turkey and southern Europe. So Russia said, well, that's not really what was supposed to happen with this. But of course, they're also w- what's really behind this is they're really angry that their own exports are being hurt and they're mad about the sanctions. Agricultural products were never part of the sanctions, but Sort of the the broad infrastructure, the main agricultural bank uh, is not allowed in the SWIFT system. Companies producing food and fertilizer, um, a lot of uh, a lot of them are uh, affected by the sanctions. They, Russia wants to be able to import machinery. Um, there was a um, the the world's longest ammonia pipeline between Odessa and Russia um, was partly blown up last month, maybe by the Ukrainians. You know, so all of this is Russia saying you know, no, we we want out of this. And and they're not kidding around. They they bombed Ukrainian ports this week. Yeah. They, uh, you know, they made it clear that any ships coming in are potential military targets.
0: Mm. Well, the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. did call it an act of cruelty, and it's hard not to see it as anything but that. As you mentioned there, since the grain deal expired, sixty thousand tons of grain has been destroyed already yep. in those attacks you mentioned. It's gonna have a massive impact because they you know, sunflower oil, barley, maize, wheat, all of this Ukraine imports in huge exports in huge numbers. What kind of impact do you think it will have on Singapore and the region?
2: You know, I think it depends a lot on whether we get a new grain deal. And in fact I think there is some reason to think that we that we may. Um you know, I mentioned that some of the countries getting the the grain are China and Turkey. They are really important for Moscow. So we expect that both of those countries will um, put some pressure on Moscow to come back to the bargaining table. It's also the case that once the end of the deal was announced, the grain prices soared. But, um, but I think markets have taken that in a little bit and the, the grain prices have stabilized in the last couple of days. Um, they're still below pre-invasion prices. And so I think that what the market is saying is, you know, Russia always comes around in the end. So I think that we may see something. Um, the UN is trying and the EU are trying to um, offer some slight workarounds in terms of the sanctions. Um, so hopefully um in the next couple of weeks, there will be negotiations so that grain prices will um, will remain stable. Um, because otherwise, for us in the region and elsewhere in the world, inflation is a big issue and food prices have been soaring.
1: Mm-hmm. Tricia, we got to move on to China news. John Kerry, uh, it was in China, the American climate czar, uh, seeking for some environmental agreements, but we did not see – Uh, really any major movement on that side. At the same time, uh, Henry Kissinger was in (laughs) Beijing and treated like an absolute king by Xi Jinping for his efforts in helping to thaw relations between the U.S. and China in the 1970s. Um, a a weird mix. Yeah. A weird mix of. (laughs) A 100 year old uh, key. Yeah, 100 100, year old. A a strange mix of Americana in, in China this week.
2: It was so. In terms of carry trip, you know, I don't think expectations were super high going into this. Um, they were modest but upbeat, and that's largely what we got as an outcome. No big modest,
1: modest but upbeat. I like that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and that's, and that's I think how they're how they're spinning it. You know, it's um, you know he was called old friend, um, but China also made it very clear that you know they are committed to reducing fossil fuel dependence. They have made a lot of progress on, you know, kind of move to renewables, but they're not on anybody else's timetable. The U.S. really wants them to reduce coal, but they will reduce it when they have alternatives in place, when Mm -hmm. they decide. Mm -hmm. Um, There's conversation going on, so that's positive and that's progress, but you're right. The contrast between the very polite um, welcome given to um, uh, Kerry was a little bit in contrast to the sort of you know chinese version of of rock star it was well,
1: gushing it, it was, was gushing. gushing the he was called the old friend the of china the old friend and they they had him in the same uh, guest house the uh, Diao Yutai i think guest house where where he was in the 1970s when they we met i think with Deng Xiaoping and, and that so they they kind of recreated you know the the kiss with kissinger the kind of redo of the photo the photo op from mm. Forty years well, ago, well, and he
2: and he got to meet with Jinping, which Kerry did not. Exactly. And he also right? met with Li Fu, who is the defense minister, who you might remember. Um, you know, he was here for the Shangri La dialogues and basically just blew off U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and said mm. no, he wasn't going to meet with him. So yeah, so this was um, th- this was this was a big deal, and I think you know I think besides the symbolic recognition uh, of Kissinger's role in U.S. China relations in the Twilight, really, not just of his career, but, you know, his life. He's, as you said, he's a 100. Um, but, but I
1: think... This, there is a reality there. <laughs> you know, this,
2: this, may, this may be his last China trip. Yeah. Who knows? Um, but this is a strategy, I think, this is, I think, quite strategic on Beijing's part of using non-diplomatic channels to influence not just Biden uh, and the administration, but Washington in general. They know that there is this massive... Um, drumbeat of anti-China sentiment in Washington, and Mm. they want there to be voices in Washington reminding people about the importance of economic ties between the two countries, the dangers of decoupling, and of course they're worried about the election, Um, you know, and so I think having Kissinger there was kind of a reminder of a different era and a different tone of U.S.-China engagement.
1: I would, I would uh, it'd be interesting to see if they held a poll how much influence that actually had on the American mindset at this point in time. But uh, anyway, let's move on. Net- Netflix subscriptions are on the rise. People have been signing up for Netflix in, uh, in unprecedented numbers since the streamer cracked down earlier this year on password sharing and stopped that to happen. So ending in July, they had more than 238 million subscribers. Adding almost six million since March. This is a huge win for Netflix uh, in in an era of trying to monetize the streaming services. Is it not?
2: It is. You can no longer use you know your your cousin's ex wife um, you know hairdresser's password. You have to get your own account now. Um, and I think one of the things that Netflix did is it kind of normalized the idea of uh, a subscription model for television mm. or. Or for for entertainment uh, is better said, um, and they are still the um, the one to beat. They are the largest streaming service in the world, or the largest one in the U.S. Hmm. Um, they have been losing market share to competitors like HBO and Disney Plus, but um, but they have been but they have been very successful picking up um, those additional almost six million means that they have close to sort of fifty percent market share in the U.S. Um, well, you know, of course, they still have you know they're still There are still challenges for all of the streamers, uh, particularly this vast amount of competition. But they've, uh, in addition to the pricing model, they're also a little cheaper than a lot of other places. So, so they are Mm. in a pretty good position.
0: Right. But Trisha, you have to wonder about the cynicism of the timing, as the writers (laughs) and the actors are out on strike, specifically about the streaming model, which doesn't reward the IP and the work of writers. And actors, this is something I'm particularly interested in because it's about the subject of mm-hmm. residuals, you know, regular TV exactly. shows, you you write a show or you perform on a show and you'll get a payment every time that show is subsequently repeated. It doesn't work that way with streaming, does it? You get a licensing fee and then that's it. It doesn't and matter. It. it just sits there. So you do have to wonder about their timing. They might need the money. In, in months to come. Mm.
2: They might need the money, but I think also, um, you know, and if you if you listen to um, the writers and the actors who are on strike, a lot of people, you know, really talk specifically, fairly or unfairly, about Netflix, mm. where, whereas all of the streamers are in the same boat. But, you know, I think in a lot of ways, this strike is going to be even more painful for the networks. They are not going to be able to do their fall lineups. You know, Netflix and some of the streamers have... Catalogs that they can that they yeah, yeah, good you know, point. Can run through, but um, for the for the networks, they're not able to sell the upfronts, right? The um, the the advertising for the fall because there is going to be a very truncated fall lineup. Um, shows like you know our favorites like Abbott Elementary and Ghost, they're not going they're not going to run. And I think in addition to the loss of that revenue for the networks, people's viewing habits may change, and so they may find that you know that market share is. Sort of ebbing away because uh, because people find other uh, substitutes.
1: Mm, mm. Very good point. Like actually. listening to Money FM whenever possible. Exactly. And, and our podcast, which we, by the way, do not get any royalties or any residuals. Yeah. And we haven't it. gone on strike. That's, we haven't gone on strike. We're here.
0: We're still here. We're fighting. serving the people. We're serving the people. That's absolutely right. <laughs> like our wonderful loyal listeners. Like your good <laughs> self, Trisha. Uh, the
1: national
2: treasure uh, YouTube, there, Oh, well, say. thank you very much. Wow.
1: Don't stop. Don't stop. Keep going. <laughs> All right. We're going to leave it there. Trisha, thanks so much for being with us uh, today. Appreciate it. Trisha, uh, Craig from Yale and U.S. Have a great weekend.